Hello, and thank you for listening to this life-changing message from River of Life. If you enjoy this message, we invite you to check out River of Life live this Sunday at 10.30 a.m. in Crawfordville. Visit riveroflifefl.com for service times and directions. That's riveroflifefl.com. Now, let's join special guest Rocky Russell as he teaches from the Word of God. I am not Henry Jones. So if you're a guest this morning, uh, my name is Rocky Russell, and uh, I used to be on staff here as a youth pastor years ago. My family and I moved away in 2007 to take a youth ministry in Waynesville, North Carolina, and then we were sent from that church to plant a church in Asheville, North Carolina, where we served for three and a half years. And for all the regulars and family and people that know us, I brought my wife and children this... Yes. So if, if you would just kind of wave at everybody, this is Cindy, my wife, and Jake and Anna, and our oldest son, Will, uh, is uh, taking a lot of college classes and working, so he's back in Virginia Beach where we live, and he'll continue his second year at Radford University this fall. And uh, we also have Emma with us. She's a family friend, and this is her first trip to Florida, and she thinks it's hot. So, <clears throat> and we need a few more gnats. What, don't you think we need more, more gnats? No. Uh, so, uh, anyway, I'm glad to be with you today. This is actually the third uh, time I've been with you this year, and uh, I'm having a good time. And I just want to say thank you for all your kindness. Uh, I've even had people reach out and, 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 and just offer a lot of encouragement. Maybe you think I need the encouragement. It's a help the boy. Uh, so that has been helpful as well. I, I, we've been gone for, uh, golly, 2007, so 12 years now that we've uh, been out of the state. We're born and raised. I'm from Jackson County. I really love to be at River of Life because I don't think that you guys think I have an accent. <clears throat> But the people in Virginia think I have an accent. And they think they're in the deep south. <clears throat> That's the funniest thing I've said this morning. Uh, but it's not unusual that we'll sit down at a table at a restaurant and the waitress will come by and take our order and then just stand there and say, where are you from? And uh, so we say, we're from Florida. And, and they, they don't think Wakulla County when they think Florida. They think Disney World uh, or Miami or something like that. And so uh, it's good to be in God's country. Amen. 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 Uh, another thing, I will say this. Uh, it's important to, you know, keep up with what's going on, uh, you know, in the area if you're going to come back and, and speak. So I, I was keeping my eyes open as we went. Uh, we were at St. George Island all week. And yesterday we came back and took the jungle boat cruise at uh, Wakulla Springs, like you do. And uh, so there we were, taking the jungle boat cruise. But on the way out there, I noticed there were still a few cows left near the Bloxham Cutoff. And I said, well, they got about 15 cows out here. That's pretty good. Farming is still alive, you know, around here in uh, Wakulla County. So that's, that's going on. They haven't finished the road yet. Um, the El Jalisco has moved to a larger location. That seemed important. It's amazing what your eyes are open to when you come home like that. So I said, you know, you really got to check the cultural touchstones of a community. So I went to Walmart this morning. 
And I'm going to tell you what I found. I'm going to, now you have to understand, Walmart is a big chain, but they are aware of the tastes of the community. So, for example, uh, they have like a, uh, uh, you know, a scallop digging kit. Well, you can't get a scallop digging kit at every Walmart in America, just the one in Crawfordville. <laughs> so you understand the locality, the localization of the, uh, of the, so anyway, I went by the, the, the book section where they sell books there near the greeting cards. And in the romance, paperback romance section, and I measured it. It's only eight feet long. Seven shelves high. There are about 50 different titles in the paper book romance section. 27 of those are about cowboys. That is a statistic. That is a fact. And I realize that there are more books about cowboys than there are cows in Wakala County. <laughs> if there are single men among us, I would advise you to buy a cowboy hat. That would... <laughs> There's definitely something to that. Well, I want to say thank you to Pastor Henry for having me back, and we have had such a good time. We actually were here worshiping with you uh, last Sunday, and we really uh, enjoyed that. Uh, currently, I serve as the executive director of a ministry called Teen Challenge, and I think I've introduced myself that way uh, several times that I've been here, but I'm actually going to share with you a few things about that and integrate that into my message today. But I'd like to take you to Genesis chapter 2, verses 15 and 25. They're probably on the same page, but if they're not, they're going to be close. Genesis chapter 2, verses 15 and 25. Our scripture says that the Lord God took the man, meaning Adam, took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. And the man and his wife, verse 25, were both naked and were not ashamed. The title of my message this morning is Back to Normal. Back to Normal. We get hundreds of phone calls every month in our Teen Challenge ministry from people who are in crisis. They call us because they have a child, a son age 12 to 17, who is dealing with a life-controlling problem like addiction. It's mostly addiction, but sometimes it's other things like adoption issues or the trauma of a divorce. It could be any kind of trauma, really. Death, we've had uh, young men come to us who are just really struggling, and they're ready for some Christ-centered care for their son. And these, thousands, these, these phone calls that come in seem to follow one common theme that I've picked up on over five years of, of answering these calls. And that is that the, usually the mother will say, I did everything I was told to do. What, what the parent means by that is, is that we were having some trouble with our son 
And it started small, and the teacher gave some corrective action, and we did what the teacher said to do. And after the corrective action, our child was still misbehaving, and so uh, he was sent to the principal, and the principal gave him some stuff, and maybe even suspended him from school. We did what the principal told us to do, and then things really started to get out of hand because the, the police had to come visit us in our home. We had a disturbance in our home, and we did what they told us to do. And after that happened a couple of times, and we found out about the drugs, and we found out about everything that was going on uh, and the relationships that we didn't know about and things that we had no idea how bad they had gotten we were taken in front of a judge and he told us some stuff and now we're doing what he's told us to do the the bottom line is is that every time we came to a situation we did what we were told to do and it is not working it's not working And I think all of us have experienced at some time kind of a helplessness where we're reaching out for some kind of answers. I've got this problem. It seems like a pretty common problem. How could this problem be so common, yet I feel so isolated and alone? Can I just tell you, because the enemy is a liar. That's that's the number one thing. And the song they sang up here this morning was a resurrection song. And I don't know why we get so uh, upset about the devil trying to jump on our shoulder. According to that song, he doesn't even have the keys to his own place. So there's, there are so many people in crisis around us, and it may even be you. I'm doing what I w- I've been told. I've read so many books. I've consulted with all these different things. I'm doing everything I've been told. And simultaneously, while parents are crying out for their children, an entire generation cries out, I just want to feel normal. I just want to feel normal. And the next time you hear somebody who hasn't heard this message before, and they say, I just want to feel normal, ask them, well, what is that exactly? Because they don't know. I just know that what I feel right now is not normal. And I think that something that the enemy has sown into society is this idea that out there somewhere in the earth is a formula or a solution that will uh, uncork exactly what you need and it will just bubble forth like a, like a fountain. And and you'll be able to to take that solution and everything will just be okay. It's kind of a magical thinking, if you think about it, that just around the corner is this answer for my family, this answer for my marriage, this answer for my finances. And for everybody in this room, it's something different. We're kind of like the disciples uh, uh, after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection in John 21. Think about those disciples uh, out on uh, the, the, the lake, and, and they're not catching any fish, and it's just a bad night, and they're sticky and wet, and, and, and who knows what they're thinking. Their, their leader has just been crucified, dead, and buried, and uh, they haven't seen him, and one of their number has committed suicide. And they're just all in, a, in, in this boat, and they're, they're in, going in so many different directions. A church service is kind of like that. Today may be your day and you feel as strong as you've ever felt in the Lord, but somebody on your road today may feel as weak and as powerless and feeling like if they don't get answers today, that's it. 
I'm here to tell every person in this room, it is my mission and mandate to tell you that there is a God so powerful, there is a God that will cut through all the chaos and confusion, and He will be your solution, and He will be your answer, and He will love you and rescue you and rescue your family even today. Amen. So, uh, so we help people with all kinds of things, drugs, alcohol, uh, and, and drugs and alcohol are easy. The hardest thing to put back together is someone who just lacks purpose. A wayward, ch- a, a drug addict, uh, it's simple to, to give them solutions and to pull out weeds and plant flowers in their life, but, but someone who lacks purpose, uh, uh, well, let's put it in a positive context, someone who has purpose in their life is not going to be derailed by the common tricks of the enemy on a day-in and day-out basis. So the Bible gives us, beginning all the way back in Genesis in our Scripture, and, and, and later made explicitly clear by Jesus, a call to discipleship, real discipleship. Real discipleship that's not just sitting at the feet of Jesus, which is supremely important, but it goes beyond and it is learning as a student does. Real discipleship is a plan established by God for meeting all of our needs without the fatal influence of man's darkened wisdom. Real discipleship. In Genesis 2, 15 and 25, this is the place where God is in control. This is the place where sin is still a mystery. And Adam's first job was in farming. Praise God. Take care of this garden. Take care of this garden. And under the leadership of God, he worked. He worked. He worked. Young person, that is... That's our job here on this earth, is to work and be under the leadership of God. And that's the place where Adam and Eve lived when God walked with them in the garden. Our normal role as God's creation, as demonstrated by God, or as demonstrated by Adam, is at work under the leadership of God's Holy Spirit. So today, where are we? Genesis 3, 1 through about uh, verse 15 we know the story. The serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field. He sowed confusion and, 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 and lies and, and got them to partake of what they were told not to partake of. And, and so it led to the issue we have today. The most unnormal thing we deal with is sin. Sin is not normal. Sin is not a place where we're supposed to be. Sin and sinful behavior is separating us from God. It is missing the target. It is getting out of the garden and going off away from God. Sin is not normal. And, and, and the assumption is, uh, in the world and people who are, who are misguided, is that, that all sin just keeps flowing and there's nothing that we can do about it. Listen, we don't need a sinful nature to sin. Three moral beings were sinning uh, uh, before um, before the sinful nature problem ever started with uh, Satan, Adam, and Eve. Uh, but here we are. The most abnormal thing we could do is live a sinful life separated from God. So I want to talk to you about what normal can do for us. Now, I've thought about this because I was originally a communication student at Florida State. Normal is not a word that's very edgy. 
Nobody opens up a new product or a new service and says, this is the most normal thing you can do. Uh, But the reality is, is that all marketing seeks to normalize our behavior into commercialism and into spending money on a product. One of the most important things you can do in marketing your new product is to tell people that this is what everybody else is doing. The next time you check a box or fill out a form online or, or some of those things, you'll see that a lot of that time they'll say, most people select box number two. And then what do you think? Box number two, I better check it. it might be, that might be the winner. I mean, that might be the one that gets me through. Our first point today is that normal shows us our deficits in our Christian walk. Now, I've got a picture I'm going to ask Ms. Janice to pull up. This wretched thing is what we call the donut-sized spare tire. If you will go to your car today and look in the trunk, you'll find one of these awful, awful things. Uh, Unless you have like a Jeep or some sort of pickup truck or something else like that, uh, this tire has replaced the normal-sized spare tire in almost every car in America. I don't know when it started, maybe about 20 or 25 years ago, but most of us probably remember when you had a car... You had five rims on that car. And when you rotated your tires, they took out the spare tire and they put it in with the rest of them and they rotated your tires around. Does anybody remember that? I'm cross-rotating my tires and I've got this spare tire. Somewhere along the way, the engineers and these auto companies decided we needed donut-sized spare tires. And there's a lot of benefits to the tire. If I started asking out loud, somebody would probably say it weighs less. Um... You know, it's easier to manage and get out of the back. But that really wasn't the issue when they invented this tire. The problem that needed to be solved is, is that people used to take the spare tire. They'd have a flat tire. They'd wind up on the side of the road, jack the car up, take that tire off, put the spare tire on. And now where does the bad tire go? Back in the trunk. And when do you get that spare tire fixed? Maybe never. And so people were driving around with spare tires that were not able to go into service. And so the the solution to that was to invent this crazy thing. And a lot of times there's a sticker, you can see on this one at the top, and it gives you some instructions like, uh, do not go over 200 miles, do not go over 50 miles an hour, like you're going to do that. Um, (laughs) Have you ever been passed by somebody with one of these tires on? You're like, what are you doing? (laughs) You don't even have a real tire on. Like, what is that? Why would I bring all this up? Do you have the next slide? I just like to put a frowny face on there. That's all. (laughs) I I want you to feel what I feel about these tires, okay? Can I tell you something? And this is a type of accountability when there is a deficit in your vehicle. It reminds you as you go down the road that something's not right. I've got this goofy tire. I've got three good tires. And my three good tires make this tire look really incomplete. And I bring this to you to make this point. That being in a church full of people who serve the Lord. And having accountability partners and friends and, and people around you that will cause you to see the deficits in your life 
in a way that's manageable and you can take it to the Lord. But if you'll look back over the life, and hindsight's twenty twenty. but a, a man who has a moral failing, you will see that he starts to disconnect from the people in his life that could have been crying out against the things that were going wrong. Because you get tired of the light shining on that one deficit. I mean, it gets old. I don't want anybody, if, if you have one of these tires on and you pull in the parking lot, somebody's going to say, well, what happened? Well, I just felt like putting this tire on. I don't know. I, no, you're going to have to say, well, I had this problem and I had this happen and I had a flat tire. I was on the interstate and then I had to put this tire on. And then the next time you stop, church, we need people in our lives who can come to us and say, something's wrong. Something's the matter. Whenever a man uh, disconnects from those things, he's tired of seeing the normal light shining on his abnormal. So when people ask us, what do you do at Teen Challenge? We shine a light on everything in a person's life 24 hours a day. When a young man's got a bad attitude at 6 o'clock in the morning when he gets up, somebody's there with him. At 7 o'clock, 8 o'clock, we go to breakfast and somebody's still in his face about his bad attitude. At lunch, we're checking back in. Do you still have that bad attitude? shift changes and a whole new set of staff come on at three o'clock and they get the notes says johnny's got a bad attitude johnny you got a bad attitude we start working on it we're praying with him can you imagine 24 hours a day and not being able to get away from your bad attitude because everybody's checking in with you something's going to change and that's why people check into intensive care. But that kind of discipleship is available to all of us all the time. Now, I don't, I don't enjoy that process, but it sure helps me stay close to the Lord. Second thing is, normal shows the world God's power. We serve a powerful, risen God. We sang about Him this morning, and I'm going to tell you, when I see the picture of the tomb and, and that stone rolled away, I just, I'm ready to shout. God's here, and that resurrection power is here in this house today for you. Whatever it is in your life that's dead and needs to be raised up, He's here. In Acts chapter 28, and I'm not going to read the whole thing to you, but it's the story of Paul and uh, on their missionary journey, they came in and, and they were shipwrecked on the island of Malta. And in verse 2 it says, The native people showed us unusual kindness. They kindled a fire and welcomed us all because it had begun to rain and was cold. And when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on the fire, a viper came out and because of the heat and it fastened to his hand. Man, I just got on shore. Let's get a fire going. Snake jumps out, bites his hand and it stays there. It says, when the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, no doubt this man is a murderer. Though he has escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. He, however, shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. They were waiting for him to swell up or fall down dead. But when they had waited a long time and saw no misfortune come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. Our response to world events, our response to, to, the, to what Satan is trying to do in our community and around us determines what the world sees of Christ. When I see Paul shaking off a snake into the fire, I'm thinking, he's saying, that's just how we roll. I mean, you come against me and we just shake off the snake. 
That's just how we do things in the power of God. And I want to tell you something today. The world is drawn to godly solutions for their dilemma of sin and lostness. Make no mistake about it. The lost are truly lost. And it is a dark, lonely place. And the world is being conditioned to push back really hard against biblical, godly solutions. Those who can will will try to write it out of our schools and write it out of our constitution and write it out of our laws. And and, and that's a problem. But but the, the bigger issue is, is that the world, when they stop and ponder their condition, they know something's missing, something's wrong. And the people of God should be available with the power of God when those people come to a crossroad. That's us. That is everybody in the sound of my voice today. We have a job to do. And the central problem of our generation, and I, 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 I hope you hear my heart in this, but the central problem of our generation is not what's going on in the news every night. It's not what's going on in our government. The central problem is when the church of Jesus Christ operates in the flesh rather than the Holy Spirit. That is the central problem. And that's not going to get reported on. But when the church rises up, then this world will see. And I just will say this. Furthermore, you cannot protest your way into the hearts of man. You cannot shame people into a state of salvation. You have to go to them and take them the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that will be attractive to the world. That is attractive. Godly, biblical answers are attractive to this world. We had a young man who uh, who was about 15 years old. And uh, we separate, and, and I could explain why, but... Uh, we separate the uh, progress in the program from any kind of Christian experiences that the students might have. Because if we say, when you get saved, you go up. When you get baptized, you go up. Then everybody would say they're saved and baptized and we'd never get anywhere. So those are separate things. You could actually progress all the way through our program, 14 months, graduate, and as hard as it would be, you could do that without giving your heart to Christ. And um, I don't, it's never happened, uh, but, but those things are very separate. But we did have a holdout one time, and we had a young man that pushed us and pushed us, and he just, I'm not giving my life to the Lord, and, and it's almost like an acknowledgement of God after a while. It's like, well, I'm staying away from God. Well, at least you, you know, you got something to, to hang your hat on there. But he, he uh, we took them, uh, every year we take them on a trip to the mountains, And he was surrounded by the beauty of God. This kid was from Philadelphia. He'd never seen that kind of stuff before. I don't even know he'd ever seen stars before. And we take him out there in the woods and we expose him to the beauty and the goodness of God. And people are just loving on him. And it was after that experience that he finally gave his heart to the Lord and was baptized. And I'm just going to tell you that people will let go of the world and take hold of God when they start to ascribe true beauty to the nature of God. People will quit supporting abortion when they see the face of an unborn child. You just can't do it anymore. Because God is the necessary owner of beauty. 
If it's beautiful, it's godly. If it's truly beautiful, it belongs to God. So, following after God's Holy Spirit is a, is a remarkable way to demonstrate God's power. And along with that, um, and I, I do have this quote, it, 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 I, I want to talk real quickly about something else. And that is, with all this talk about the goodness of God, where's the place of suffering in all of this? That Truly, that can't be normal. But we're called to share in the suffering of Christ. And I brought this, this quote from Mother Teresa. First of all, I want to say suffering is not a punishment. Suffering, uh, Jesus does not punish, but suffering is a sign. A sign that we have come so close to Jesus on the cross that he can kiss us and show that he is in love with us by giving us an opportunity to share in his passion. So with all that I'm telling you about what's normal, what is it like in the Garden of Eden, what's it like now, we're called to share in the suffering of Christ. And this quote came after a news reporter had interviewed Mother Teresa and and they had asked her, they said, well, you must really feel good about yourself helping all the poor here in India and, and, and that must really build something inside of you. And she said, no, we do this to share in the suffering of Christ. We are right there in the passion of Jesus Christ. Finally, normal makes us long for home. I traveled a lot after high school and I made a lot of speeches around the state of Florida with a leadership organization. And one day we, um, we were at the State Fair of Florida in Tampa. We had to work there for nine days making speeches and promoting uh, agriculture and doing all kinds of things. And I got really sick. I was uh, 18 years old, away from home, halfway through this nine-day uh, uh, leadership experience. And the director of the program came to my uh, uh, hotel room and he said, son, is there anything I can do for you? He felt helpless. And I said, you could get my mama and you could have her bring a rag and put it on my head. (laughs) That's pitiful, isn't it? That's just terrible. But why? Why would I ask for that? Why? Because that was normal. My normal circumstances was not to be away from home being sick. My normal was at home with my mama. And your normal is not here on planet earth. Your normal is in eternity with Jesus forever loving and worshiping Him. That's normal. In John chapter 14, Jesus spoke to his disciples before he went to the cross. And this is what he said. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms, and if it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Now Thomas is there. And Thomas wants some proof. What's going on? Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do. Because I am going to the Father. 
Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up at this time and, and, and just give us some music in the background. But as they come, I want to ask you to join me in a moment of prayer. I want to pray for you this morning. And when we come to the end of this time of prayer, and, and I'm going to just give you a, a few more little things. Um, but I'm going to open up this altar and we're going to give you an opportunity to come and pray. Because I just, I've believed since the beginning of this service that God wants to speak to some people who have some things that are not normal. Maybe you haven't had the language to put with that just yet. And, and you knew something wasn't right. We want to get to that place, back to normal, back to the presence of God. But will you just join me? Will you just bow your heads with me for a moment? Thank you again for listening to this life-changing message from River of Life. If this message has touched you today, or you need someone to pray with you, then please let us know. You can call us at 850-926-1200 or send an email to info at riveroflifefl.com. We also encourage you to visit River of Life this Sunday at 1030 a.m. in Crawfordville. For more information, visit us at riveroflifefl.com.